scripture reading today will be from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And if you're reading out of the Pew Bible, it's on page 867. 867. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels also or always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is, that is straying? And if, he, and if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than, than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little, little ones should perish. Good morning. It is really good to see you this morning. If you're a guest, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, it encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is an exciting time to be a part of the Lord's kingdom. It's an exciting time to be a part of, of the kingdom and the part of God's family that worships right here at Mount Juliet. So many good things, and we just want to pause and give God the glory. Uh, it's really amazing to think that in three weeks that here in this congregation, there's probably been about 25 baptisms. And this, this morning to see Sean here in early service, to see the Oldhams here that were baptized into Christ just this past seven days. And to think that that's three souls. But then I, I want to share with you about 42 other souls that people at the Mount Juliet congregation have had a part in them becoming Christians this last seven days. It's amazing to think about what God has done. We had a team that has just returned back yesterday from Honduras, and there's a picture of the team, and they literally had 36 baptisms and somewhere between two to four restorations this week. Uh, I would receive texts from or emails uh, from Aaron Crisp on this trip just every few hours saying, there's two more being baptized. Another one is being baptized. It's absolutely one of the most successful trips that folks from Mount Juliet have been on that I know of. And we give God all the glory. And we're thankful. There are four congregations in that area that will be following up on them. And uh, to think of the success there is tremendous. We're thankful that the West Virginia mission trip was such a great success. Those individuals are back home as of late this week. They had a great vacation Bible school, this little small church in the mountains of West Virginia. This is the highlight of their year. And I know I say that to you often, but I just want you to let it sink in. This is the highlight of their year. Already a Bible study has been set up with one of the grandmothers that brought her child to vacation Bible school. And we just continue to hear great things of edification and maybe even evangelism out of this but we're thankful for the seeds that were planted in the lives of children. Also, uh, Emily and Lacey Shannon are in Arusha, Tanzania, Africa, and there have been six baptisms this past week, and the campaign will continue for a few more days. And, uh, and they ask your prayers for seeds that have been planted for a few more individuals that said, they know what they need to do and they want to think about it a little bit. And so we pray that there'll be more baptisms from, from all of these campaigns and even from work that is continuing to be done right here in Mount Juliet. I, don't, I know we can say things and, and you're just kind of like, oh, that's great. But I, I want you to really pause for a moment and I want you to think about this. 
in the life of this congregation, the work that we've been involved in in the last seven days, 45 souls have changed their eternity. How powerful is that? 45 souls have come to know Jesus and to say, I want to serve him. I don't want my life to be about me or the world any longer. I want to turn to the Lord. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be saved. What a powerful, powerful testimony that God is still powerful, that souls and hearts are still open, and that there is great work yet to be done in America and around the world. And what I want you to do is to make that commitment to carry over this week. Friends, we haven't completed anything. We can't look back at the last three weeks and say, oh, let's brag about those are some of the best three weeks that the Mount Juliet congregation has ever had. Let's look forward to this week and say, by God's grace and to him be the glory, this is going to be the best week that we've ever had the opportunities that will be before us to plant seeds. Maybe what we do this week, we will not see immediate results, but to invest in the life of children by the hundreds is an amazing opportunity. So as we think about Vacation Bible School, I want you to think about who can you invite? Who is it that... It's your nephew or niece. It's your child or grandchild. Who is it that's your neighbor? Who is it that's your friend's child? That if you went a little bit out of your way this afternoon or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week, they would come. Who is it that you could call them and they would come? Who is it that perhaps you could go out of your way to offer a ride, to drop them off, and to pick them up every day this week? Sure, that takes a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice, but wouldn't it be worth it to plant the seed of this amazing faith, the amazing race, this race of faith will be the theme for the VBS uh, in the, the youngers from, from fifth grade down to be able to plant that seed in their mind. And of course, the teen vacation Bible school will be taking place also, sixth through 12th graders. All of it's from nine to noon, Monday through Thursday. Send the people online at mountjuliet.org and let them register. If for some reason they won't register, bring them on. But let's make sure that our prayers and our efforts are 100% for the greatest good for God's kingdom to be done. Now, keep in mind that traditionally we have a wonderful way in which we kind of just kick off on Sunday evening after the evening service. We have a homemade ice cream supper. Now, if you've been here a little while, you know that this almost too good to be true. Where else can you go where there are hundreds of people that go through the line and there's still just containers after containers of ice cream, homemade ice cream left? That's right. If you're, if you're a guest, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Every year, you just keep coming back all you want. And so everybody's in Invited because there's always plenty and all of you that always make plenty just do it again this afternoon and it's going to be a wonderful evening if you want to bring homemade ice cream or if you want to bring uh, cookies whatever you want to bring but we're going to enjoy the fellowship afterwards and we're going to enjoy the the good substance of of homemade ice cream afterwards but we're going to really be thankful and prayerful and optimistic about the opportunity to have a vacation bible school that'll touch so many lives Harold Shank grew up in a church, in a home that was 100% unchurched. None of the adults in his family ever went to church. But there was a highlight of his year twice a year. 
You see, he and his two older sisters during the summer would go down to the Church of the Brethren's Vacation Bible School. It met in the basement of a music store. And he said when we would go there, they would serve us cookies and they would love the fact that we were there and they would teach us about God. And we loved it. It was the highlight of our year, except there was always something very, very painful. He said the last day we knew when we were leaving that it would be 51 more weeks. And he said we always left sad and we always felt forgotten. He said, but there was one more week later on in the summer. There was a church of Christ on the end of the street. He said, we'd go to that vacation Bible school also. And he said, truth be known, their cookies were better than the Church of the Brethren. And said, the leader, he said, the leader of their vacation Bible school just seemed to love kids and, and made us so thrilled to be there. He said he would do all kinds of things, whether it was singing and enthusiasm or even like at the end before we left each day, he would reveal what the number of an attendance was by hiding it somewhere in the front of the building and we would have to guess where the number was. He said, me and my sisters, would, we would lay in bed at night and we would guess where he was going to hide it the next day. He said, we couldn't wait for vacation Bible school. And then would be that last day. And that last day, we would leave brokenhearted and we would leave feeling forgotten. He said, when I was 12, I'd gone to enough vacation Bible schools that I knew there was a God. But there was no one in my life that talked about God. I began to have all kinds of questions about God, but I honestly believed no one cared that I had questions about God. And I even wondered if anybody really even cared for me. He said, at that point in time, no one knew how empty I felt and how confused I felt with all of this conquest that I had for God, but yet I always came up empty. He said, at that time, if anyone would have reached out for me toward about God, I would have followed them. He said, if a Mormon would have come to me, if a Catholic would have come to me, if a Protestant would have come to me, if a Muslim would have come to me. He said, if anybody would have come to me with God, I would have followed them. I was so hungry to learn more about God. But nobody came. He goes on in that chapter of the book to say, I can identify with that one son that seems to be the lost son in the book of Genesis. You see, we usually think about this great story of Abraham and Sarah and them giving birth to Isaac and then we just trail right on through the Bible and we follow that lineage that would eventually give birth to Jesus Christ. But he says we too often just very quickly go over those few pages that mentions whenever Abraham and Sarah lost faith in God and they no longer trusted that he would fulfill his promise and they wanted to help God fulfill his promise. And so since they were barren, but yet they were supposed through their lineage be the father of a great nation, they decided, Sarah said to Abraham, you go in and, and you, you lie with, with my handmaiden, Hagar, an Egyptian slave. And, and if she consented, and brings forth a son, that's going to be the lineage that, that Jesus will come through and that God is speaking about. And he did. 
and she conceived. And she did give birth to a son. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. But yet that wasn't God's plan. And so when he was about 13 years old, 14 years old, God fulfills his plan and Isaac is born. There's a lot of jealousy that went on with Sarah against Hagar. Within all of that jealousy, when we get to Genesis, the 21st chapter, we see that one day Ishmael scoffed at his younger brother. And this made Sarah so mad. And so she cried out to Abraham and she said, you get that woman out of our house and you take that son and he goes with her. You can imagine the pain that that would create with Abraham because after all, that was his child. And even though we can't fully understand it, God confirmed to Abraham to do what Sarah was asking. And so he gathers a flask of water and some bread. And he sends the mother and her teenage son out into a hot and a barren wilderness. And they wander and they eat and they drink until there's nothing else to eat and there's nothing else to drink. The sun is scorching them and they are dehydrated. Don't judge her, mothers. Some of you would say, I would hold my teenage son while he was dying. She couldn't do it. She finally got her son that was probably too weak to walk at this time, and she got him slid up under a shrubbery bush. The best she could do to get him out of the, the son of the wilderness. And she went with what would be the, the shot of a bow an arrow's distance away because she didn't want to hear those cries, that moaning that a child makes as they're dying. She didn't want to see his face as he was dying. And this mother that hadn't asked for any of this, she didn't ask to be an Egyptian slave. She didn't ask for a man to come in and conceive with her. She didn't ask to be driven away from her home. She didn't ask to be jobless, homeless, without drink. And would anyone care? Would anyone care that just a short distance away, her son is crying death's moan? And just as it appeared to this single mom that no one cared about her son. We read these words in Genesis, the 21st chapter, in verse 17. I want to read you this out of the New American Standard. And God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Listen to that line again. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. God knows where he is. God's going to deliver him. God's going to take care of him. 
Hagar, when you think nobody else on earth is listening, because maybe they weren't. When you think that there is no one that loves you and your son, you just know that God has never stopped hearing the cries of children. One of the great characteristics of the Christian faith is that from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures, from Old Testament to New Testament, it is God that teaches us to place a high value upon children. As I've already mentioned this month, this month there have, are several civilizations around the world and in the past where they do not place an emphasis upon children. The emphasis is placed upon the adults that are strong enough to be productive. And if you're aged and you're losing productivity, you're second or third class citizens. And if you're a child, you're a second or third class citizen. And what we enjoy in America, to whatever degree it is true, where we live in a society that says there's a greater emphasis placed upon children, that is not a secular worldview. That is a Christian worldview that places a worth and a beauty and an emphasis on children. And yet in America, we're not doing it real well. There are children in America that are hungry physically. But you think of all the children in America who do not have any kind of foundation under them on which to build a life. There are so many children in America, young, four and five year olds, 15 and 16 year olds, 19 and 20 year olds, and they're crying. They're crying out as they're desperately trying to find a life worth living. And because they haven't been given that foundation, they're searching wherever the world points them to search. This morning, I was in Mapco at about 4.45 in the morning, and there was a girl that came in, a little girl about 20 years old probably, and I felt so sorry. If I had this morning to live over, I would change it in a heartbeat. I almost said something to her. Her eyes were so heavily bloodshot, they would barely stay in her sockets, and she looked so distressed. She came into the store, and she wandered back out in her car, and she came back in the store, and I almost said to her, can I help you with something? Because it was obvious, she was in desperate need of something. Now, before you look down your nose and say, well, she shouldn't have partied all night, she's searching most likely for what a lot of people her age are searching for, and that's a life of substance, and she probably hasn't had anybody in her life to show her that. We have the cries of children we have 25, 26, 27-year-olds that are still crying out, trying to find that life, but they weren't able to find it at home. They weren't able to find that foundation where adults in their life would put their arms around them and say, let's talk about God. Let's talk about a soul. Let's talk about eternal life. And let's talk about a life worth living. In other words, boil it down to this. It's a life that brings fulfillment. It's a life that brings satisfaction. The clubs are full because people are looking for something to fulfill them. The drug dealers are doing great business because people are looking for something either to fulfill them or to help them escape from the miserable, empty life they have. And you better believe there are children all over Mount Juliet, young children and old children that are crying. They're crying out in their actions and they're crying tears in their bed at night. Who is going to hear the cries of children? 
God does. And God's people do. God's people hear the cries. I'm thankful that I can share with you some updates. And not that it's not important and that's why we're rushing through, but because there's so much that could be said. I, I want to just quickly mention these to you. You'll remember in January of 2012, many of you gave a nice, generous gift to the Estherbrook family who live in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and they're members of the Spring Meadows Church of Christ. And they were adopting, and then their adoption process stalled, not by their choice, but it stalled. And we just now have received word back in the last couple of weeks that Tom and Kelly have been able to fly over to Bulgaria, and they have been able to visit their daughters and they are so excited. And now, of course, they had to fly back without them. But hopefully in three months, and hopefully the latest would be six months, they'll be able to fly back and bring them home. And they ask us, saying, we would greatly appreciate prayers that God is able to make a way for our paperwork to be finalized and proved before the courts close for eight weeks. The courts there closed down for two months in this late summer and early fall. The girls are separated from each other and we know that they cry for each other, so we desperately want them to be reunited and home with us. And so we rejoice with them and to think, God hears their cries. How, how do two sisters separated from each other in Bulgaria, how, how is it that they end up in Spring Hill, Tennessee, in a Christian family being raised to be taught about God? God hears their cries. Or we're also thankful to be able to tell all of you this. Some of you would know about it and maybe others of you do not. Jay and Sandra Kiff have made a wonderful decision uh, to adopt. And we rejoice with them and Kayla and Jameson. And the reason that I wanted to make sure and get this in this week's sermon was because this is very timely. Uh, they will be gone next week to Atlanta to pick up Andre. Now, what's important for all of us to know is that in Ukraine, many children that live in the orphanage, they either go to a camp for much of the summer or they go to a host family. And so Andre understands that at this point, what he is doing this summer is going to a host family in America. But what those... Uh, officials and the Kefs are hoping is that if this transition is smooth, once he goes back to Ukraine, the paperwork can continue for him to be adopted into the Kef family. He's 10 years old. He loves to draw and make things with his hands and play sports and to watch Tom and Jerry. He's described as active, kind and tender, compassionate and friendly. The Kefs will leave next weekend. They will pick him up on the 29th. They'll bring him here. He'll be with us here at Mount Juliet. We look forward to loving him up and uh, just showing him the love of God and, and, of course, their family, but the broader church family. And he will be here through August 14th. He will come not understanding much English, but again, I ask you to keep in mind he doesn't at this point know anything about the potential adoption. So we would be wise to keep that in mind as we visit with him and uh, with them as he is around. 
Uh, but why is this so important? Uh, our young men that went on Chisel, uh, their eyes were open to this as we walked through a foster home at Potter's Foster Home in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky just a few weeks ago. There's a real problem in America and around the world with foster care in that children age out and at the time they age out they have to leave and here in America it's at 18 or whenever you graduate from high school and so no matter what your situation how much your foster parents love you no matter what the situation is you have to leave the foster program and it's real sad we saw that up close and personal just a few weeks ago and and as a group we talked about it a lot well the challenge in in uh, Ukraine is that children age out of the foster system at 16 years of age. And, you know, if you grew up in a good, strong home, you had a strong foundation under you, how well would you do leaving home at 16? And now imagine not having a great foundation under you. How are you going to do leaving at 16? Here's what happens in Ukraine. 15% of those children, by the time they're 18, commit suicide. 60 to 70% of the girls turn to prostitution to survive. And 60 to 70% of the boys turn to crime. And so the Kevs have uh, prayers that they want us to offer, very worthy. They would ask us that we would pray for them and for Andre. They would ask that we would pray for just the difficult process of bringing a child in that doesn't speak the language to live in just that time of transition. They pray, ask us to pray about the language barrier. They pray to ask us to pray that if it's God's will, that they would be a forever family. They ask us also to pray for all of the children that are coming over to America to be hosted this summer, that good things would happen in their lives too. Also, we're thankful to be able to tell you that John and Andrew White have also made the same decision uh, to believe that they can make a difference in a child's eternity if, if they adopt. And we appreciate the Kiffs and uh, the Whites and their decisions of this. And uh, we rejoice also with John and Andrea, but also Riley, Grayson, and Caitlin. And their process is that they are going to adopt in China. Probably will be a boy up to two years of age and probably will have a minor special needs. Uh, their process is, is uh, moving forward, it's going well, and uh, they would hope that their dossier would be sealed uh, very soon, and then that the agency will move that forward by August, and then by then they can start getting some dates and et cetera. I can tell you just a little bit more than about that in just a moment, but we rejoice with the Whites, and we want to continue to pray for them during this time. You remember January of this year, 2013, You'll remember that we sent money to Craig and Sherry Womack of those that wanted to give. And a modest amount was given here. And I know that even after we sent ours, some of you sent direct contributions to them. And they were so thankful for it. Uh, just a tremendous Christian couple here, Craig and Sherry and their sons, Riley and Wyatt. And uh, they're, they're further, further along in the adoption process. And they already know their daughter that they're hopefully going to be picking up within about two months is named Mia. And Mia, they, they sent her a YouTube clip that we've been watching. And she is just precious. She laughs and giggles a lot. And uh, she's walking around in little squeaky shoes. And that just made the giggling all the better. And uh, they're looking forward uh, to bringing her home. She, she's already had a cleft lip surgery there. And when she comes here to America, she'll have another uh, surgery or two, but uh, they, they are very grateful for your support, and we're grateful to be able to be a part of that in a very small way. 
there are copies of this next slide out at Information Center. The reason I did that is if you know these families and you want to know more about what they're going through, and I'm talking about especially the two families they're adopting from uh, China, whether it be the Womacks or the Whites, uh, this is a 15-step process that they go through in order to adopt. It's a lengthy process. And if, if you want to pick that up just so you know where they are and know maybe better in detail what to pray about, the Whites are on step five of the 15. And the Womacks right now are on step 10 out of the 15. And, um, you know, we, we think about the Lord always hears the cries of children. And I am just so thankful that the Estabrooks and the Kefs and the Whites and the Womacks, that they all have heard cries of children. They've heard cries over in China, Bulgaria, and, uh, and, and they have heard cries in Ukraine. You know, Jay insisted that, that uh, they continue to look for adoption in Ukraine because of the work that we have done as a congregation uh, with that nation and, uh, and, and in mission work. And we're looking forward, prayerfully forward to all of this. You know, there's another family that through the years has probably set one of the best examples that all of us have ever seen about hearing the cries of children. And I think about Paul and Jennifer Hargis. And uh, I think about whether it's their biological children or if it was foster children or adoptive children, as long as they've been adults, uh, they have always reached out and, and served families. We're not all going to do it the same way. We're not all going to adopt. We're not all going to have foster children. But listen, the message is loud and clear in the scriptures. God thinks a world of children. God expects his people to hear the cries of children. God expects people to go out of their way for children. The world's not necessarily going to do it, and they're definitely not going to do it with consistency. But children of God do it consistently. Children of God would not do otherwise. I'd like for you to think about what we have read in Matthew, the 18th chapter. You remember earlier this month, the first two Sundays of this month, we've been studying through Matthew 18. Last Sunday, we took a real short break because we studied for Father's Day, Psalm 127 and 128. All we're doing is picking up here at the verse where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And I'd like to remind you in verse 10 of Matthew 18, that there was a rule that Jesus gave about children. And he says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, sure, Surely the application is to all of God's children, all of us. But he's still putting it in the context where earlier, he, that, that very same time that he's speaking, he picked up a child. And, and he's speaking about a child as he holds that child in the midst of them. And he's teaching all of these lessons to say, this is how we feel about children, the Godhead. And this is how we, the kingdom, feel about children. And he says, don't despise them. Now think about that. Last paragraph we studied, he says, don't cause them to stumble. That's an action. Here he's not speaking of an action. He's speaking of what would lead to an action. But here what he's doing is he's saying, I want to talk to you about your thought process. The word despise means to think negatively of. He's literally saying, I don't want you. Now, I know this is a strange way to say it, but he's saying, I don't want you to think down upon a child. You know how, how we hear somebody say, you're talking down to them. Here Jesus is saying, I don't want you to think down upon a child. When you see children this week in VBS and they're being children, you can count on children being children. That's, they do it well. And so children by the hundreds are going to be here at VBS. What are you going to think? 
Are you going to think down upon them? We need to be careful. We need to make sure that our heart and our mindset toward children, whether they're younger or older, that we think what God would think about children. And you know what? Jesus gives us four reasons here why we ought to think highly of children. Number one is in the rest of verse 10. Look at the rest of verse 10 there where he says, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Number one, he says, don't think down upon children you need to first think about the relationship they have with angels. Isn't that amazing? And he even says, I say to you. In other words, he prefaces this by saying, keep in mind who's saying this. I left heaven to come to earth. I know a little bit about heaven. He could honestly say, I'm the one that created the angels and the children. And he says, let me tell you something I know something about. Okay, Lord, what do you want us to tell about? I know that those children that you might be looking down upon, they have angels. Now, this isn't teaching that a child has an individual guardian angel, although that may sound sweet, and I can't say it's not that way, but that's not what this is saying. It's plural here. And so he's saying, those children, they have their angels. But we know, this isn't guesswork. We know from Hebrews 1 and 14 that angels are ministers. They are servants of those who are believers of the Lord. Children of God are served by angels. I don't claim to know all of the ways that angels serve us, but I'm thankful that they do. But now what he's saying is those children that you might, you might look down upon them and think down upon them, he says you better not. Angels, they're looking down from heaven and they're thinking up. They are holding them up. And now, who are these angels? Are they angels of Satan? No, look, it's the same angels that behold the face of God. It's God's angels that are looking over children. Now, can you imagine that? The very servants that are caring for children are the ones that can turn right around and behold the face of the Almighty. And then we're going to look down upon a child that's being cared for by an angelic host. A second reason that we do not need to think down upon a children is when we go back up to verse five of Matthew, the 18th chapter. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Could he say it any more clearly? He's not just saying, hey, let's stretch here and let's make some kind of stretch application. He's saying it this simply. Whatever you think about children, that's what you think about Jesus Christ. However you're going to treat children, that's how you treat Jesus Christ. You receive them, you receive me. Number three, we also need to think about the relationship that children have with God's children. You see, he tells the parable there of the 99 sheep and one goes astray, except this time he tells it about the little ones. And what he does throughout this is he, the way he uses the one over and over is he's showing how important the individual is. Listen, every child at Vacation Bible School this week is important to God. Every one of them. There will not be one that isn't important to God. So that one that is going through a mean phase and, and they're not as nice as they ought to be, they're important to God. Not only do we see in this teaching that they're important, but he also teaches us that we ought to be willing to leave the 99 and to seek the other that is not 
where they need to be. Does it concern you that there's a third grader that lives right down the street from you that knows nothing about God? Does it concern you that if you invited that third grader to come to church, they would probably come to Bible class with you? Who are the little ones that have gone astray? They're all around us. There are children all around us that are starving to death when it comes to spiritual truth. And the Lord says, I value every one of them and I want you to leave the 90 and 9 and go. And when you find them, you have huge reason to rejoice. He values the individual. He tells us to seek them out. He tells us to rejoice when we find them. That include our own children. That include the way that we live among them and the way that we serve them. But I'd like for you to notice the fourth reason he clearly states in verse 14, it's the will of the Father. It's the will of the Father that none of these children would perish. So what does He want us to do? He wants us to serve them. He wants us to help them come to know God so that when they grow up, they can serve the one and true living God. I'm thankful to tell you that Harold Shank's story didn't end there. You see, at 12 years of age, when he went to the vacation Bible school at the local Church of Christ, that year, something happened that had never happened before. At the end, when he was already feeling sad and forgotten, but before he left the building, this older lady come up to him and introduced herself as Miss Mildred. She explained to him, you know the Bible class you met in? Yes, ma'am. On Sunday morning, there will be sixth graders in that class, and many of them will be some of the ones that you were in class with this week. And I teach that class on Sunday morning, and Harold, I want you to be in that class. He was elated. He almost jumped out of his skin. It's the first time anybody had ever showed interest in him and his relationship with God. He had been going through that year with all kinds of questions and nobody to ask. He arrived early, he got into class and he'll never forget. And she opened class by saying, I wanna to introduce to you this morning, Abraham. And he gave, she gave him a workbook. He filled out every blank in the entire workbook. He loved the story of Abraham. He went to college and he wanted to study the language, the Hebrew language. And when he did his doctorate, he says, you can go and look in the library right now and pull my dissertation. And it'll be filed under the one word, Genesis. He said, you know, I think Miss Mildred would be proud she would know that what she taught me the first quarter I was ever in Bible class, I've never lost my love for it. She introduced him to Abraham that eventually led to the lineage of Jesus Christ. And when he was 14, he was baptized into Christ and he served as a minister for a lot of years. Four questions I need to ask today. Will you be like Miss Mildred? Will you not think down on children? Will you meditate upon the fact that God hears children's cries and angels watch over them? Will you hear children's cries?
The good news is God wants to adopt all of us. And if you're not adopted this morning, you're missing out on being the child in the family that really makes all the difference, not only in the world, but in eternity. That's right. God wants us to live with him for eternity. We have a heavenly father that says, I want to not only love you on this earth, I want to love you forever. I want to be in your presence forever. Listen, you're going through times in your life where you're crying out and your pain is so deep and you feel like nobody understands. They may not on this earth, but God does. And he understands even better than you understand. God loves you. He loves you more than anyone has loved you. When God says he wants to adopt you, it's full-fledged. He wants to be your father. He wants to give you the full inheritance. He wants to do for you more than what any parent has ever done. That's how much God loves us. If you're not a child of God, why not come to him this morning and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins if you're a believer willing to repent of sins and confess? Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost the side of that journey. Come home. He is the Father who looks down the road and will run to meet you as you come, and He won't stop to kiss you when you, He won't stop kissing you when you come home. If we can help you in any-